The journey of Christian maturity involves an intentional life that is an ordered and collaborative effort with God. Join us for a fall series, Formed, The Reshaping of a Life. Uh, so a couple days ago, I had the chance to drive out to one of my favorite places to go, uh, out to Ikea. And um, so one of the things that made this trip really special, actually there's a couple things that were out of the ordinary. One of them is I wasn't driving my normal car, and the reason why is because I got into a little bit of an accident. My wife and my daughter would love to tell you all about that story. I'm not going to say anything else about it, okay? So I had a rental car. This rental car had, uh, had like three seats in it. And uh, so we decided that we were going to, it was our turn to watch some of our friends' kids. Their kiddos are littler than mine. Like my youngest now is in eighth grade. So when we drive around in the car, it's actually fairly quiet. In the back seat is the land of the headphones in my car. Um, And that is a good place to be as a parent for, you know. Now when you got little ones like we did, uh, it was a little different. Now these kids weren't mine. So when we went to Ikea, I did what I never did as a parent, which is I bribed them. I told them if they behaved themselves, I would get them ice cream cones at the very end. Even though it was going to be really close to dinner, I was like, I don't care if you don't eat your dinner because my time is up and your parents can take care of that problem. So we got in the truck with the ice cream cones and like I was totally reminded of something. I totally forgot what it was like to have little kids. They made a disaster with ice cream cones in the back seat, right? And I remember that like in the front seat where my wife and I sit, is the land of like peace and shalom, right? It's nice and quiet. The temperature is just right. We get to choose what's on the radio. It's perfect. When you have little ones just behind me, behind the the promised land, the land of shalom, in the back seat is the land of weeping and gnashing of teeth. It's hell on earth back there. There's no law. There's no rules back there. Now, we've uh, we've been in a series called Formed, and what we've been talking about for the past few weeks, um, if I can use this analogy, like the, the kingdom of heaven, the way of shalom is like the front seat. That's where, that's where the Father lives. It's where things are whole and complete. And so many times in my own life, even though I'm an adult, I live in the back seat where things are a mess. And this series about formed is how we can get our lives from the back seat to the front seat. Now, what we did this week, any of you guys recognize these little colored pieces of paper? A number of us filled these out uh, the last time I taught. We had some uh, doors that were in the back, and we tucked this, these pieces of paper in here. We pulled these all out of the window and laid them out on the stage and looked them over. We didn't read all of them, but we prayed for them. I learned a couple things when I looked over these pieces of paper. Um, one of the things that I learned is that um, I'm not alone. I shared with you in my last sermon um, that the thing that holds me back, what the back seat looks like for me, the thing that keeps me from the kingdom of heaven, um, I named a few things. Trust, I have a hard time with it. Rejection is something that I fear. Uh, and fear is a significant part of my life. You know what I learned? I learned I'm not alone. You know, those words came up in these jars a lot, actually. It's interesting that even though we're like a congregation of thousands of people, we struggle with a lot of the similar things. I want you to know that like you're, you're not alone. These things that are in here, you're not alone and I'm not alone. Uh, the other thing about uh, what these things reminded me of um, is that in our struggle, 
It's not just that our struggles are common that makes us not alone. It's that we don't struggle with them by ourselves. We don't have a God who leaves us alone in our struggle. We don't have a God who leaves us alone in our struggle. We're going to talk lots more about that. Um, But now uh, we started off with a drama, which might have been a bit of an abrupt uh, beginning, especially if you came late. You might be frustrated that you missed half of it. Uh, So let me just start off with like a, a, a more appropriate greeting. Hello. Good morning. My name is Seth. I'm one of the teaching pastors here at Woodland Hills, and I want to say a special welcome, uh, especially if you're newer. Um, this service is part of a creative series called The Creative Lab, where we are like playing around with the order of service and trying different components, really for two reasons. One of them is to help us connect with God better, and the other is to help us connect with each other better, and we hope that both of those things happen for you today. Today we're going we're gonna to finish up this series where we're talking about how does God hope that we grow How does God hope that our lives change? You do know that part of what Jesus came to teach and to give to us is to change our lives. That these pieces of paper in the jar, they should become less and less imprisoning to us year after year after year of following Jesus. And I want you to know, uh, Greg talked about it in one of the very first sermons of this series. You're not alone. You, by simply trying harder, will not be able to overcome that. Uh, And it was actually uh, one of the main points of this video that we showed. So in order to get you prepared for singing, um, you know, the difference between singing and worship is singing is just singing words, and worship is when we put our heart into it. Um, Hopefully to spark us in that worship, um, I'm going to ask you to pay attention to the side screens as we show a short clip about how does God help us with the ways that the backseat of our lives, we struggle with those, and invite us into the front seat. Now, one of the things that was amazing about the way that Jesus taught was the way that he was a storyteller. The thing about Jesus telling stories was that um, he came came from a line of teaching. Um, Oftentimes, people would call him teacher or rabbi. So like for a group of Jewish people who were immensely devoted to the law, to the Torah, there was a little picture that that rabbis would use when talking about how to understand the meaning of their stories. They would talk about the, uh, the Torah being like a diamond, and you could place this diamond within a group of people who could circle around it, uh, and each one of the faces of the Torah, the 70 faces of Torah, they would call it, that like each of these stories and teachings had a deep amount of meaning from multiple different angles. So today we're focusing on the parable uh, of the soil. This teaching that Jesus had that, um, about what happens to seeds. Uh, You know, so we started off with this little drama about seeds blowing in the wind uh, and in some ways joking about it being a tragic story, Um, except the story is kind of tragic, right? I mean, when you think about a seed, a seed is a perfect metaphor. Jesus picked the perfect metaphor for it because no one just wants a seed, right? I mean, very rarely do we want just a seed. What we want to do with the seed is we want to put a seed in the ground because the most powerful thing about a seed isn't what's in it when you look at it. It's what can come out of it in the right soil, right? Seeds are about potential. Seeds are about potential. And seeds need good soil. Man, we looked at the kind of things that were in here. Jesus said that the seeds are the message of the kingdom and you're the soil And the seeds that the Father has are things that God wants to grow in you. Things that God wants to grow in you. But the things that are in here aren't good soil. 
my thing that I put in here, the kind of plants that grow up out of the soil that's like this, terrible things. You know, the kind of things that are in here are like resentment is in here. Like anger that sits for a while and slowly grows and grows toxic. It's, it's misplaced anger. Uh, one of my things is in here is fear, anxiety. You know, uh, our senior pastor Greg talked about it last week. Uh, anxiety is imagining the worst case scenario and then just deciding that you want to live that right now as if it's for certain. It's actually ridiculous to do it. There's anxiety in here. There is. Worry about the future. Worry about acceptance, rejection. What if I won't get the things that I need? What if that terrible thing really does happen? Greed? There's greed in here. God gives us these amazing desires that we have. Those things get mismanaged and slightly twisted. And now instead of desiring the things that God has created deep inside of us for, we desire other things that instead of bringing life, instead of flourishing, they kill us. Superiority. There's some judgment in here. When we decide that our category of sins aren't quite as bad as the category of other people's sins, and we get just a little bit of life out of being just a little bit better than somebody else. You know? Like my favorite place to be. I never want to be at the bottom, right? I don't want to be the worst, but I kind of don't want to be the best either. I want some people to be worse than me, but a few people to be better than me, right? So I can find a safe spot right in the middle. There's resentment, and there's anxiety, and there's greed, and there's superiority in here. R-A-G-S, rags, you know? Reminds me when Jesus said, like, all, all of our righteousness is like rags. Or how many times the New Testament says we're supposed to take off this old clothing that doesn't fit us well, and we're supposed to put on new clothing. What kind of soil do we have to be for the seed to grow in us? Now, in Ephesians chapter 3, uh, Paul, who's writing to the Ephesians, gives us a great picture of what kind of seed, what kind of things God is trying to grow in us, and what kind of soils that seeds of the kingdom grow the best in. If these seeds are potential kingdom fruit, what kind of soil does that seed need? Let's see what he says in the book of Ephesians. Now, he start, he's praying a prayer for this church, the church in Ephesus, and to the other churches who would have read this letter. He said, Father, out of your honorable and glorious riches... Strengthen your people. Now, this is real important. Most of the letters of the New Testament go to communities that are struggling. The two most common words that these letters almost always start out with is grace. You know what grace is? Grace is what Christians burn every day in order to try to live the way that Jesus taught us about. Grace isn't something you get the first day you become a Christian. It's actually the fuel that helps you walk the life every day. So grace is one of the things, and then peace. Those are most often the two ways that the apostles start off these letters. Grace and peace to you because these communities had so much struggle. He says, fill their souls with the power of your spirit. Any souls here need the power of the spirit? Yeah. So that through faith in the anointed one, which is Jesus, faith the anointed one will reside in their hearts. You know that's the place that Jesus wants most to be, right? At the center of your life, the place where decisions get made, the, the, sort of the control room of your life, Jesus wants to set up his home there. And then let's look at this language where uh, Paul uses this language of the soil. May love be the rich soil where their lives take root. When kingdom seed gets placed in soil rich in love, good things grow. Good things grow. Jesus has been good soil to me. 
the seeds that God wants to grow in my life, the only thing that good that has ever come out of my life has come because Jesus has been good soil to me. Jesus has been good soil to you? I mean, imagine this story, right? Imagine if Jesus had decided to be the path to you. If when you were most needing nourishment and love and acceptance, imagine if the message of Jesus was, your sins are counted against you. There's nothing that you can do. Oh, what if, what if Jesus had been uh, the soil with rocks in it? Uh, and actually you kind of had gotten off to a good start, but instead of Jesus being able to hold and sustain and nourish you, what if he couldn't go the distance and what started out good just kind of flopped over and failed? What if Jesus had been the soil with the weeds and had been overcome, but instead Jesus has been good soil to you? Now, we're in the series where we're talking about spiritual growth and spiritual formation. What does it mean to grow? Basically, what does a mature Christian look like? And now we're at the last one. I've gone to lots of churches and been part of lots of churches that would answer that question differently. Like, what does an advanced, mature Christian look like? What kind of things should Christians not do? What kind of, Christians, or what kind of things should Christians do? I've gone to some churches that had solid lists of things like, you know, um, that they were going to have a meeting over. Like, if you broke this rule, there was going to be a meeting. Uh, I went to some places where, like, the length of a skirt, if you, if you violated the length of a skirt, there was going to be a meeting. I went to school where if I didn't wear a tie to class, there was going to be, like, a meeting. Like, duh, God is really concerned about this. I've been to some churches where if you move your body rhythmically to music, there's going to be a meeting to talk about that. And then I've been to some churches where you could continue year after year to be a loveless person and no one would ever call a meeting, you know? Like the thing that Jesus most longed for for our lives is that we would be people of love, that our lives would make a difference for other people's lives. I want you to know, if you're a Christian in the room, if you're not, this, is, this does not apply to you yet. If you're a Christian in the room, I want you to know that God expects you to grow. God expects you to grow. Now, the reason God expects you to grow is not because he has some immeasurable standard for you to meet up to. It's because when he looks at you, he sees a seed. God has great things for you, things that are in that seed. And the reason why God has hopes for you is because God wants to grow something in you. Whether you're in junior high or high school, whether you're part of, if you're an echo, I want you to know that God has, in that seed, God has great things for you. And in the soil of his love, it can grow. I want you to know if you're 75 or 80 years old, the potential that you have for the kingdom is not done. God is not done with you. God is an amazing grower of people. expectations God has, the potential that you have together with grace. The church is the place where people are supposed to grow up. And by growing up, that means being more like Christ, who was good soil to us. Now, um, you guys have seen, like, there's this controversy around the Starbucks red cup, right? Starbucks has violated Christmas, right? It's taken our faith away. Or like today, today this afternoon, there's an important event happening about middle of the afternoon, right? The, the team that God loves is going to be facing off against the team that God can't stand, right? 
and there's no lukewarm middle of the ground, right? You'll get spit out. You got to be this or this, right? Now, at some point in that game, the camera's going to pan over to the end zone, the field goal, when someone's kicking, and there's going to be somebody holding up a sign with one short word and then two numbers on it. It's going to be written on there. And what's going to happen is when the camera pans to that spot and when the millions of viewers across America and the world see that phrase on that poster, they're going to fall to their knees and become Christians. What's going to be on that poster? John 3.16, right? The church, we so often get this thing wrong. We assume that the Bible is our, our message to the world, right? You ever heard a Christian who's talking to someone who doesn't believe in the Bible, and one of the things that they're trying to do to help convince them that the Bible is true is quoting Bible verses at them? That kind of doesn't work, right? They don't believe it. You can't use it against them, right? Um, the Bible is God's word, it's God's letter to God's people. The Bible is for the church. The strategy of God is that those words are supposed to encourage us to be good soil. Those words are supposed to encourage us in the way of love. And then look what's supposed to happen next. Actually, let's look at the book of Corinthians. Paul tells us the Bible is God's letter to us, and then we are the living letter of the anointed one. The liberating king. Who is the letter to the world, friends? You are. I am. You're the living letter of the anointed one, the liberating king, nurtured by the apostles, that's us, and inscribed not with ink. You are a letter that can't be written with ink. Ink is not sufficient to write the letter. But with the spirit of the living God. The church is supposed to be a letter that's too passionate to be chiseled onto stone tablets. The church is supposed to be a letter that emblazoned on, on the human heart. You are God's letter. Has Jesus been good soil to you? It's our responsibility to turn around and be good soil to the people that are around us. Now, I'm going to ask the musicians to come up. Uh, we have a, a video that we want to show you with a song that's attached to it, and then I'm going to come up and give some final thoughts for the sermon. I just want you to know that the the end result of this six-week series about growing spiritually, there's like, there's one major mark of what spirituality looks like, what advanced Christianity looks like in our world. It means that the things that Jesus has done to us are things that we are supposed to turn around and be to others. Has Jesus been good soil to you? Has Jesus ever been the hard path to you? Has he? Has Jesus ever been the rocky soil to you? I'm pretty convinced that the only thing that Jesus has ever given me is his very best. He's only ever been the good soil. And now he's asking me to be good soil to other people around. That's what he's asking for the church. While this video is going on, I just want you to think about this question. How are we doing at that? How are we doing at being good soil for the other seeds of the kingdom? Okay, just a few last comments, and then we're going to finish up our, our, um, our service day with worship. For those of you that are at the back, uh, we, we're kind of running out of chairs and tightening up, so we're going, to, we're going to add another row or two. Sorry that you had to stand for a good chunk of the service. Um, I have a question for you. What makes God angry? What, what makes God angry? Now, some people think that nothing does, and that's not true. Some people think everything does, and that's not true either. But there are a few things. I want to share with you about one of them. One of the things that makes God angry, and one of the episodes in the Bible where we see God angry, it's actually at Moses. You guys remember the story of Moses, right? 
Uh, Moses is born at a time when actually Hebrew children weren't allowed to be born, where many of them were sacrificed, many of them were killed. He survived. It's a story like I've always kind of identified with. He survives. His mom floats him down in a basket, right, hoping the best, taking her little seed, sending him down the river. He gets rescued, is raised in a royal home where he's like, educated, where he learns something about leadership. And then a little later on in his life, he makes a mistake. He sees injustice, and he commits injustice. This is a good lesson for us. You can't answer injustice with injustice, which he does. He sees someone getting hurt. He gets violent. Then he has, to, he has to escape, feels guilty. He gets seen and caught, moves out in the desert, and now he's tending sheep, right? Problem is, like, God didn't design Moses to tend sheep. So Moses comes along a burning bush, right? And God starts speaking to him. He says, I got something for you to do, Moses. Which if you're Moses, you think this would be great news, right? You've been out in the wilderness, um, not meeting your maximum kingdom potential. So finally God meets with him and says, I've got something for you to do. And Moses starts making excuses, right? What does Moses say? Moses says, I can't tell Pharaoh that. He says, I can't tell fellow that because I, I, don't, I don't talk that good, right? Now, the only problem with this is like a little later in the Bible, in the book of Acts, we meet another hero. His name is Stephen. Um, and Stephen is actually, for his faith, he's getting killed. Um, this is one of, the, one of the strong marks that you see in the Bible of Christians is that like Jesus, who was punished and suffered innocently, uh, towards the end of his suffering, one of the things he says is like, Father, don't. They don't know what they're doing, so you need to forgive them. And then Stephen, who's suffering because of his master, I mean, this is a sign that discipleship works. Uh, Stephen, when he's suffering, he's going to get stoned, he's going to get killed. Right before he dies, one of the things that he says is like, God, don't, don't count this against them. Man, a heroic. One of the people that's standing there when that happens, uh, his, name is, his name is Saul, who later becomes Paul, who becomes a pretty important character, whose life is impacted partly by seeing this kind of suffering, that kind of forgiveness. But Stephen, uh, just before he gets stoned, in fact, the speech that leads to him getting killed, he refers to Moses, and he refers to Moses as a man mighty in word and in deed. So what is it that Moses is doing when he says, like, I can't talk that good? Like, I can just imagine this. Moses the burning bush, God's talking to him, says, I got something for you to do. And he says, like, ah, I don't want to do it. I don't want to do it. And he starts making excuses. And then uh, God does something which is, like, super funny to me. Like, okay, he says, you don't want to do it. That's fine. Uh, I'll have your brother do it along with you, right? That, like, makes it even worse. If you don't want to do it, I'll send your brother with you to do it. And then you guys have to do it together, right? When Moses says he's not going to do it, it says that, that, that God's anger burned against Moses. I want to see that. I want to see a burning bush get so mad it burns more, right? The burning bush burns more. God's angry with Moses because Moses has something to do. Moses has this potential, this thing that God has for him. But Moses wants to do what so oftentimes I want to do. One of my problems is when something hard comes up, I want to choose the easy way. And the hard news I have for you if you're a Christian is the way of Jesus is almost never the easy way. See, the parable of the soils, the problem is 75% of the soil, it's easy. It's easy to be the hard soil to people, isn't it? 
When people are in your life and they're difficult or you don't know them or you have to take a risk or you have to try to build a relationship, those things are hard. It's easier to not do it. Am I right? It's easy to be the soil that's shallow to people where real life can't really take root. There's rocks. It's easy to build the kind of relationships like that, right? And then the sun of conflict comes onto a relationship that doesn't have good roots to it. And what happens? That thing is burned up. Any of you ever burned up a relationship in conflict because you didn't build good soil? You weren't good soil to them? It's not hard to be those soils. You know the hardest soil it is to be in this story? It's hard to be good soil to people. It really is. But the thing is, the stakes are really high. But I have good news for you. The kingdom doesn't grow in giant leaps and bounds. The kingdom in your life grows like one little step at a time. You have like, in any situation and in most any relationship, you just constantly have a series of decisions. Every relationship that you have is a series of decisions that you make. Decisions to be hard and closed or decisions to be open and fertile. You choose it. This uh, last week I was at Target, a place I spent a good amount of time because it's close by my house and it's easy to grab stuff. I told you I choose the easy way, right? <laughs> I go to Target. Now, um, you ever have that moment where you see someone that you know, you know them from another context, and then you see them in a different context, and it becomes awkward? Like when you were in seventh grade and you saw your teacher at the grocery store, and you're like, uh, I know how to talk to you there. I don't know how to talk to you here. I'm going to pretend I don't see you. Does this ever happen to you guys? You know what I'm talking about? I was at Target, and I saw someone who used to work for me, and she walked around the corner, and I, and I noticed, and I saw her, and in that moment, I had this, like, this decision to make. In the back of my head, I know she had just gone through some tragedy. She had just lost her dad. But there was this awkwardness, like, do I go talk to her? Do I not go talk to her? What do I do? I, I chose to let her go by. The main reason why? I didn't have a lot of time. I didn't want to take a lot of time. I didn't know where that conversation was going to go. I, I had my own things to do. So like I had this little opportunity, this little potential kingdom moment that was there, and I like decided to let it go. It's like a, one of those small decisions. And so in that opportunity, that one passed me. I missed that one. But like there's good news. Like the waves of God's spirit keep flowing. You miss one, you say, like, God, forgive me for it, and then go to the next one. Like, you always have a chance to step up. All right, now in your program guide, um, I want you to take that thing back out and open it up into the middle. There's one section that says, who is growing? Who is growing? I think you all know where this sermon is going. Am I right? right. Now, one of the things about me is I love action steps. It's one of my favorite part of meetings. I love starting every meeting by reviewing all the action steps that happened since the last time we were together. There's nothing I hate more than a meeting that doesn't produce work, right? That's just more meetings. I can't stand that. I love an action step, and I just think about a worship service like a big meeting with all of us. So we're going to make an action step. I would love for you to take that sheet of paper out, and I would love for you in the Spirit because it's, you know, it's the spirit who's in charge of your spiritual formation. It's why it's the first word, you know. I want you to think about who is someone that you need to be better soil to. That God has potential, something he's trying to grow in them, and he needs your help. He's calling and asking for you to be good soil. Who's a person who you're being hard soil to or shallow soil to? Something that you can do. 
Not a million miles, not a leap and a bound, like one step in that direction. Who is growing because of you? Because you know the stakes are really high. Every seed that God tries to put in your life is a human life that has kingdom potential, things that God wants and things that God needs your help with. You know, as a church, we kind of form like a big farm. Every person chooses what kind of soil they're going to be, and you add us all together. A church is either a fertile, soft place for the seeds that God has, or it can be a hard path. Uh, One of my favorite authors talks about one of his favorite movies. It's one of my favorites, too. Uh, It's called the movie Apollo 13. How many guys have seen it? This is going to be like a generation gap, isn't it? Like everyone 30 and over has seen it. Everyone under 30 is like, what are you talking about? Um, now, at the end of the movie, uh, at Apollo 13, three astronauts are stuck in a little capsule, almost like a little seed, three little human lives that are out in outer space, far from good soil, far from safety and home. They're depending on a little community of engineers back at Houston, um, and those engineers find themselves as like a life-saving unit for this group. One of the engineers says to his boss, his superior, that he thinks that this is going to be the worst moment in NASA's history. And then the camera pans over to Ed Harris, who plays like the main character of the flight director. And Ed Harris like squares his shoulders and his jaw, and he looks at his team, and he says, to the contrary team, with all due respect, I believe this will be our finest hour, he says. Now all through the film, Harris's character has laid out before his team the impossible demands that were part of this. And every time that something was impossible or the team thought they couldn't do it, he reminded them that there were three human lives up there and three families that were depending on their work. And the thing he would say over and over again is he would let them know failure is not an option, he would say. He'd let them know that they, if they sweat hard enough and if they prayed a little bit and if they worked on it, they could work it. It's not at all certain that the space capsule will withstand the heat of re-entry when it's going to come back in. The suspense is heightened. There's a few moments where they think that they're lost. There's total silence. And like everyone in the movie theater or at home is like watching the screen, wondering what's going to happen. And then like through the silence comes a little bit of static and then a voice over it that says, this is Apollo 13. The men are safe. They're home. People on the screen start jumping up and down and crying. Engineers who wouldn't know a feeling if it smacked them upside the head are dancing. They're embracing. They're pounding each other on the back. People in the theater were crying. If you're under 30, I'm sorry you don't remember this. It was like an epic moment. Um, And this author who wrote this book, he says, and he thought about it as he watched the scene unfold about Jesus' statement that there would be joy in heaven over one, one sinner who repents, one person who comes to new life. He said, I thought of the joy that will occur one day when God's dream of community is fully realized, when like all of human potential is realized. You know that day's coming, right? You know that's the way that this story ends. It's a day when even the most non-expressive people on earth, engineers and accountants and Swedish people <laughs> and, and Baptists, It's a day when we'll like laugh and hug and shout and dance in heaven. Okay, and then in the midst of all this, the camera pans back to Ed Harris, right? Ed Harris is at the control room while everyone's jumping up and down, and he's looking squarely at the screen. He's just standing there with emotions that are too deep for words. And you realize in that moment when you look at him that all of his training and all of his work, every thought that he's had, has led him up to this one shining moment. And you realize that even though he, he may live many years more, 
He may grow to be an old man, and he may do many more things, but you realize that this is like his finest hour. All around us, friends, people are searching and they're seeking. If there's ever been a day where human beings need good soil, if there's ever been a day, if there's ever been a place where the people of the Twin Cities should find space and room to flourish, if there's ever a place where that should happen, it should be here. It should be here. I want you to know that you as a person, as a follower of Jesus, you play a role in human flourishing. You can either choose to be path. It's not challenging to be hard path. It happens every day. People who can't find space. But you, by your choices, by your life, you have the power You have the power to inspire people. You have the power to show human dignity and worth to people. You have the power to play a role in unlocking the human potential of the people who are around you. And I want to challenge you. Would you do it? The sign of Christian maturity isn't that you know more Bible verses or that you keep rules better. The sign of Christian maturity is that you become the kind of person to other people that Jesus has been to you. I think the words echo, right? Do unto other people. Do unto other people as God has done to you. I'm going to ask the musicians to come up. There's one other thing that we're going to do. Um, I'm going to ask you to stand, and we're going to close up our time with a couple of songs. We're actually going to do something a little odd. We're going to sing a song again that we already sang, okay? And I'm going to tell you the reason why we're going to do this. Do you remember when I asked you to pull out that piece of paper and think about someone who you need to be good soil to? Someone probably popped into your mind almost instantly. I know mine did. It was like a snap of a finger, and I was like, I know who it is. I know who I'm taking the easy pathway with. And when I think of that person, one of the things I want you to think about, I'm thinking about, is the kingdom potential that that person has to get a picture of what does that person's life look like if the kingdom comes fully to them. If I was good soil and the Spirit made it happen, what could that person grow into? So the first time we sang this song, it was an expression of me to God. Your praise will ever be on my lips. That's one of my prayers. But this second time, what I want you to do is I want you to think about the person who you need to be good soil to. And if the kingdom came fully in their life, I want you to use your imagination like an imaginative prayer. Would you imagine them singing the words of this song and you playing a role in helping that happen? Let's take these people who we have in our hearts and let's sort of lift them up in a prayer as we worship together.